0: Philippians chapter 4, starting verse number 6. Be careful for nothing. Now, pause for just a second before we get any further. That phrase, be careful, doesn't mean to throw care out the window. Uh, The word that's used there for careful could also be used as anxious as well. So don't be anxious. Don't worry for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. The title today's message, The Answer for Anxiety, because again, in verse number six, be careful for nothing, could also be translated in the English language to say, be anxious for no reason whatsoever. And so when we think of anxiety, what causes us fear and anxiety and things like that, and verse number eight ties it in really, really uh, uh, succinctly for us this morning, if you will, I'm going to kind of give away the end before the beginning, and tell, tells us that our thoughts and the things that we think on will either... Uh, Add to our peace or subtract from the peace that God gives to us. Uh, I don't read the news because it stresses me out and it makes me depressed. So uh, for the sake of this illustration this morning, I just opened my phone and I scrolled the news headlines this morning on the news app on my phone. That's all I did. I didn't go specifically looking for things that fit my uh, agenda or anything like that. I just looked at some of the news headlines and here's the news headlines from today. This will encourage your heart. 21,000 single day COVID cases in Florida, 21,000 coronavirus transmission among vaccinated people could raise the risk even more of a more even dangerous variant. Dr. Fauci warns that things are going to get worse with COVID. The eviction bans expire, leaving millions of Americans vulnerable. TikTok star dies from shooting at California theater. Uh, North Korea's Kim's That's bad news, believe it or not. Kim's uh, sister uh, warns that South Korea and U.S. drills will rekindle tensions with North Korea. Bank fraud malware infects thousands of devices. U.K. scientists almost certain variant will emerge that beats the current vaccines. Heavy rains threaten the West with flash floods. Climate change fears spurs more Americans to join survivalist schools. Grandmas buying shotguns. U.S. dealers see ammo shortages as sales surge. Why you need to immediately delete Gmail from your phone. Behind the rise of U.S. solar is a mountain of Chinese coal and gas leak causes evacuation at the Costco in Evil A. That's just, I mean, that's just a handful of them. Now, imagine you wake up this morning, and that's the first thing that you see. You start scrolling through all of these things on your news app. That sets a course for the rest of your day. Automatically, you begin thinking of all the terrible things that are going on in the world, reasons that you have to be fearful, and things you didn't even know that you were scared about before. You're totally freaked out by now, right? But imagine this, you didn't pick up your phone first thing in the morning. You didn't scroll through your social media feed. You instead rolled out of bed, turned off your alarm, and opened the Bible instead. And you decide to spend some time in the Psalms. And you read through what the psalmist has to say about trouble and anxiety and difficulty. And you find hope, you find encouragement from the Psalms. After you put down your Bible, you spend, I don't know, five minutes or so in prayer. And then you get yourself ready and you decide to go worship God with God's people and you come to church and you hear songs about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the power that we have in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how Jesus Christ brings a completion to everything that we lack. You hear songs about uh, the fact of not our will be done, but our Father's will be done. You hear songs about the love of Jesus and how it's enough for us. And imagine how that will chart a totally different course for the rest of your day. Exact same person, exact same set of circumstances, but one of them takes a diet of negativity and the other one takes a diet of God's word. And you're gonna wind up at two totally different destinations based on the path that you choose. That's what Philippians chapter four is telling us this morning. When we think of the word anxiety, to be anxious means to experience worry, unease, or nervousness, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. That's a dictionary definition of the word anxiety. It means we don't know what's coming, so it causes fear, uncertainty, doubt, worry in our hearts because we're unsure of the outcome. But here's the thing, if you've been walking with Jesus for more than a week, you know this, that the Christian life is not about knowing all of the outcomes It's about knowing who holds all the outcomes. That our faith isn't in having everything figured out and knowing exactly what's coming next, but being able to trust the process and trust what comes next. That's the idea behind the Christian life. The Christian life is meant to be a life of boldness, not one of fear and anxiety. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, you're not meant to cower in fear. You're not meant to feel helpless and hopeless. You're not meant to... Be like everybody else, wondering and worrying about what's coming next, wringing your hands, hanging on the news headlines, waiting to see what politicians are going to do to get us out of the mess that we're in. Christians were never meant to live that kind of life. Now it's important to understand that as we look at this passage of Scripture uh, this morning, that this is written to Christians. And so Christians can live and walk in the boldness that God gives us because we're commanded to walk in boldness. We're given the tools that we need to walk in boldness. Now again, this challenge that Paul gives to the church at Philippi, the challenge I'm giving to you this morning to not be anxious, to not worry, to not be concerned, automatically presupposes the idea that you have a relationship with God, that everything's right between you and God. So first and foremost, we need to ensure that our heart is right before God. That's the first thing we got to do. Now, let me just tell you this. Before we met Jesus, for those of us that are Christians, if you're not a Christian or you're not sure you're a Christian, this is you in this boat here today as well. Before Jesus, we had every reason in the world to fear, every reason in the world to be anxious, The Bible says that we're born into this world and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there's none righteous, no, not one. That we're not good people who do bad things from time to time. We're terrible people who, in happenstance, can do some decent things from time to time. But we're not good. The Bible says there's none good at all. None righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned against God. Because our sinful condition, the Bible says there's consequences for our sin, Just like you might get a parking ticket and have to pay $35 to pay for a parking ticket. How do I know it's $35? Experience. Just because you break the law means that there's always consequences. For the same case with God, when you break his law, when you sin against God, there are consequences, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because you and I have sinned against the Holy God, we deserve to die, not only a physical death, but the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and then after that, the judgment That every single one of us will stand before a holy God one day, and we'll have to give an account of our life. And when we get before God, it's not going to be a matter of how good versus our bad, which one outweighs the other. The question is, who's going to pay for everything wrong that you've done? That's the only question that's going to be asked. And so, you have the opportunity to pay for yourself, to pay for your own sin. And the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. The only way you can pay for your sin is to be separated from God for all of eternity and be punished for your sin in a place called hell. Hell's a real place that burns with real fire for all of eternity. There's no second chances. There's no getting out. That will settle you up with God if you choose to go that route. And it's totally up to you because nobody can force anything on you. That's how you can settle things up with God. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve is God's punishment. Or God because he loves you and because he's gracious and because he's kind and because he's merciful sent his son Jesus to die in your place. Romans chapter 5 verse number 8 but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were sinners Christ died for us. You see I was supposed to be punished, but Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to endure the wrath of God, but Jesus endured the wrath of God on my behalf. The Bible says, He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That Jesus died so that we can have our payment for our sin made not by us, but by Him instead. And so, you've got to make that decision for yourself. Who's going to pay for your sin? And again, you're welcome to say, I'll take care of it on my own. You're free to do that. But understand that means separation from God and hell for all of eternity. But if you're wise, you would say, I don't want to go to hell. I trust God. I believe what his word says. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that he rose again the third day. I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I know that I can't make it on my own. And I'm willing to turn from my sin and turn to Jesus and ask forgiveness. If you're willing to do that, the Bible says that you can be, here's a beautiful Bible word, saved. Do you know for sure that you're saved? Has there been a time, a date, a place in your life where you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you were born again? Born again is just another word for being saved. And Jesus says in John chapter 3, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. John goes on at the end of John chapter 3, and he says this. He who hath the Son, speaking of Jesus Christ, hath life. But he that hath not the Son hath not life. And here's what John does. He goes one step further. He who hath not the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. Friend, if you die in your sin, not only will you go to hell, but God's wrath, God's punishment, God's righteous anger for your sin will be poured out for all of eternity, and there's no second chances. It's the worst thing in the world that can happen to you. So, if you are here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you have every reason in the world to be fearful. If you're here without Jesus Christ as your Savior, Honestly, I'm just going to shoot you straight. Coronavirus is the least of your problems. Because after this life comes a life of unending suffering. You need Jesus. But for those of us that are saved, why do we still live in fear? Why do we still feel anxiety, uneasiness, unrest when it comes to the things in this world? Oftentimes, again, I'm not a therapist or a counselor, but when I talk with folks, generally I can trace anxiety, depression, fear, and things like that back to really a root issue generally of some type of sin in their life. I'm telling you this, nothing induces anxiety and fear like an unconfessed sin and a rebellious heart against God. So before we jump off into finding out God's cure for anxiety, we need to make sure that everything's right between me and God. Is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Are there, any, are there any things that I'm doing that I know aren't right, that grieve the heart of God, but I just want to do it anyways? Oftentimes I'll talk with people and I'll say, well, I know what the Bible says, but I just want to do what I want to do. That is rebellious sin against God. And the Bible is really clear. Rebellion is as of the sin as of witchcraft. I mean, rebellion is a big deal when it comes to God. But what's going to steal your joy, what's going to steal your peace, is knowingly, willingly, as a child of God, rebelling against what God says to do. You're, just not, you're not ever going to have peace. You're just not. So again, before we find the cure for anxiety, the answer for anxiety that the Bible gives, we need to make sure that we understand that everything is right between us and God. Psalm 119, David says in verse 153, Consider mine affliction and deliver me. For I do not forget thy law, plead my case, and deliver me, quicken me, or make me alive according to thy word. Here's what he says. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statues. We want cover, we want deliverance, we want God's salvation from our situation, but we run from God's word. The, the psalmist says you'll never find it. You'll only find peace in the presence of God. And so again, as we, before we jump off here, I need to ask you the question, is everything right between you and God? First of all, do you know for sure that you're a child of God? That's the most important question you'll ever answer in your entire life. Do you know for sure that you're saved? And secondly, if you're a child of God, is everything right between you and God? I remember um, I grew up in church my whole life uh, from, I, I was saved when I was nine years old. My parents had me in church three times a week from the time I was born to the time I was 18. I joined the Navy right out of high school uh, and went to church sporadically uh, from there. I have to tell you, I didn't know what it meant to walk with Jesus. I, I thought once you got your ticket punched to heaven, you just kind of waited around and kind of did your own thing until God called your number, and that was kind of the end of it. I remember I heard a pastor preach one time about being right with God, and I went to the pastor afterwards. I said, can one be wrong with God? Is that like a thing? You can be wrong with God? Absolutely. Living a life of rebellion and sin against God's word is being wrong with God. So I want to ask you at the very beginning, if you feel yourself with fear and anxiety or depression or discouragement or frustration, is there any root there that's tied to a sin that you're not willing to give up, not willing to make right before God? That's, that's basics before we get into the real answer that God gives us. So Philippians, as Paul writes to the church of Philippi, he automatically assumes everything's right between them and God, and he gives them a prescription for getting rid of anxiety, and here's what he says. First of all, I love it how Paul orders this too. Verse number uh, six is what we do. Verse number seven is what God does. And you'll find if you do your part, God is always faithful to do his part, no doubt about it. So here's what Paul tells us to do in the first part. Here's what we do. First of all, verse number six, he tells us don't worry. Don't worry. Again, beginning of verse number six, be careful, be anxious for nothing. Just flat out, don't worry. Now, to a person who worries or is filled with anxiety, that's kind of like, okay, you gotta give me something more than that because you can't just tell me to stop, right? You can't just say, well, I feel anxious. Okay, stop being anxious. Well, I worry a lot. Just stop. A little bit oversimplistic, right? But that's the beginning part. It's the understanding that you cannot continue to worry Worry steals our joy because worry focuses on self and keeps us from focusing on God and His Word. You see, worry puts the focus completely and totally on me and everything that's going on with me and everything that I'm doing, and it takes the focus off of who God is. It takes the focus off of the promises of God's Word and just focuses on me. Hey, i got to look at those news headlines and find out what happens to me. Why should I delete Gmail from my phone immediately? That's what I use to to check my email. Why do I need that? Do I have a reason to be fearful? Are the Chinese stealing all my data from the Gmail app on my phone? I don't know. Is Google tracking me and tracking my movements based on my email? Of course they are. You already knew that. But do you have a new reason to be fearful? I don't know. I need to read this news article to find out do I need to be fearful or not, right? I need to, to look at the top three reasons in my area that people are getting infected with this crazy virus. I need to read that and find out, do I need to be fearful or not? But the problem is is that I'm focusing on me. I'm focusing on self. And here's the thing: worry will steal your joy as a Christian. You can't afford to have somebody stealing your joy. New cars kind of frustrate me. Uh, I, I like uh, older cars where you can like pop the hood and actually fix what's going on, you know. Uh, you can actually look at your gauges and see, oh, I'm running a little bit hot. It's these three things that I could check, right. Uh, my engine's running hot. I need to check, check, make sure my fan's running. My thermostat's good. I can, I can hit my thermostat with the end of a screwdriver and it pops back into place, right. How many people remember those days, right, where you can like open the hood and fix things. But what do you get now on your dash? You get a check engine light, right. Well, what does that mean? Well, it could mean that you forgot to screw your gas cap on, or it could mean that your transmission's about to fall out. But you don't know the difference, right? You just get check engine, right? And you just know something's wrong somewhere, and I've got to plug that little tool into the bottom of my dash and punch a bunch of buttons to find out what a code is, and i can got to look up the code on the internet and find out what the, the code means and all that other stuff. All this craziness, right? But here's what I tell people when it comes to joy in your life. If you, as a Christian, don't have joy, your check engine light's on something's wrong somewhere. Because a Christian without joy is not a Christian who's living a Spirit-filled life. Because, if you remember Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Yeah. So if you got no joy, something's wrong somewhere. So if you got a Christian who's moping and kicking rocks and constantly down and constantly discouraged, hey, your check engine light's on. What's going on? Well, you need to dig a little bit deeper. And again, the lack of joy in the life of a Christian is just like a check engine light on a car. It can mean you forgot to screw on your gas cap or your transmission's about to fall out, but you need to figure out what's going on. If you, if you lack joy, maybe you're hanging out with the wrong people, maybe you got the wrong influences in your life, maybe you're buying into a lie, maybe you're involved in sin, I don't know, but your check engine light's on, you need to figure out what's going on. And so lack of joy in the life of a Christian is a problem. But worry, worry throws a big, huge, cup of water over any flame of joy that you might have. Worry steals your joy with a quickness because I can't focus on how good God is because I'm so worried about how difficult my circumstances are. I can't focus on God's faithfulness because I'm filled with fearfulness. I can't do both at the same time. And so that's why, again, it is ridiculously important for you and I to be connected to the body of Christ because of everything that we've got going on throughout the week and all the fear and certainty and doubt that comes at us, not only through media, the internet, people around us, your workplace, your neighbors, your family members. You got all these things that are coming at you that want to steal your joy. You need to come and gather with God's people at least once a week, if not three or four times a week to get your head and your heart straight, to focus on the things that are really important. And you need to sing things like, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. You need that. I need that. You need to be a part of a small group where you sit in a circle with other people on a Wednesday night. and You talk about things that are going on in your life and things that you're struggling with and ways that people can pray for you. And You need to hear what other people are struggling with and how you can pray for them. You need to bear one another's burdens, like the Bible says, so that we can fulfill the law of Christ. You need that. I need that. Because if not, we're left to ourselves and we allow that whatever we take in in a given week to inform our head and our heart, and you can't afford it like that. So again, getting together with God's people is just an opportunity to get my head and my heart straight, to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords, and to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But worry wants to take the focus off of all those things and put them back on ourselves. Psalm 18, verse number one, the psalmist says this, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. David, as he writes this, is going through a difficult time himself, but he doesn't lay out all of his problems first. He lays out the goodness of God first. Now, be very clear. David will later pour out all of his problems first. David will, at other points throughout the Psalms, have a very huge pity party for himself, no doubt about it. But you'll find as he goes through Psalms, always at the end of even his Psalms of Lament comes back to the idea of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. And if you don't have a good place in your Bible reading right now, here's a challenge for you for the month of August. If you haven't been faithful to the Word, if you haven't been have a good place that you're reading your Bible, here's your challenge for the month of August. Read five Psalms a day. Five Psalms a day. August 1st is today, right? August 1st. To start today, Psalm 1 through 5. Read five Psalms a day. By the end of the month of August, you will have read the entire book of Psalms. And I'm telling you this, you will find so much hope, so much encouragement Through the book of Psalms in the month, you won't be able to contain it all. It's that good. And so I would encourage you, if you don't have a good place in your Bible reading, read through the book of Psalms this month. But David, as he writes Psalm 18, he starts off with the goodness of God. You know why? Because we want to focus on ourselves first before we focus on God's goodness. That's why he says, don't worry. Be careful for nothing. Don't be full of care about anything. No reason for anxiety, no reason for concern. I've got this because we cast our cares upon Jesus. I I don't have to carry the load because he's carrying it for me. I don't have to bear the burden because he's bearing the burden on my behalf. The problem is, is with many Christians, we take all of our fears, our worries, our anxiety, our past hurt, our guilt, our shame, And we load it up in a a big, huge backpack like those hikers wear, like a big sea bag that you put on your back, and we carry that with us from place to place. And we're, we're burdened down with the weight of all of our fear, uncertainty, doubt, guilt, shame, concerns. And we carry that from place to place with all this emotional baggage. Friend, you were never intended to carry any of that. That's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter, cast your care upon the Lord because he cares for you. Give him all of your burden. The problem comes, (laughs) if you're like me, and I'm sure I'm probably the only person who's ever done this before. We have all of our care, all of our concerns, all of our burden, and we leave those with the Lord. Hey, I got this situation, I don't know what to do, so I'm just gonna leave this here with you, God, because I'm not sure what to do with it, but I just know I can't carry it anymore. So I'm gonna let you handle that, and I'm gonna step away for a minute. Okay, uh, you're welcome to do anything with it whenever you want to. It's all yours, Lord. You got it. All right, fine. You're not going to do anything with it. I'll take it back. And we take it back and we put it back in our sack and we start walking around with it again. We don't fully cast our care upon the Lord. It's a dangerous place to be. If have you got your notes handy this morning. First Peter chapter 5, verse number 7. It says, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Now, we know that verse and it's an often quoted verse. And oftentimes, we, people will quote the second verse, but they usually don't quote them together. Verse number eight here says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Oftentimes, we forget to connect the two of those. Casting all your care upon the Lord, because he cares for you. But be sober and be vigilant, because the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Those two are connected not giving your burden to the Lord and being devoured by the devil are directly connected to one another. Again, I've watched National Geographic to know that when the predator goes after the prey, he usually goes after the herd, but he gets the one that's lagging behind. He goes for the one that's away from the protection of the herd. The one that's maybe sick or limping a little bit. And so when you and I carry our emotional baggage and we don't cast, cast our care upon the Lord, we become a prime target for the devil completely and totally destroying our life. So if you want to carry around your fear, uncertainty, and doubt, you want to be a person of anxiety and a person of worry and a person of fear, you want to be a coward... You say, well, that's a harsh word. I'm just using the Bible word from last, last week from 1 Timothy. If you want to live a life of cowardice, you're welcome to do that, but just know the peace of God will always elude you. You'll never have it because you were never intended to carry those burdens. Cast your care upon him for he cares for you. Psalm 55, verse number 22, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee, and he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Psalm 55, verse number 22, some of you need to put that in your Bible and circle it, star it, underline it. If you're using a Bible app, you should highlight that verse in your Bible app. Maybe you need to take a three-by-five card this week and write that down and put it in your pocket or tape it up on your mirror because you need to remember this and not forget it. Maybe you need to pray this back to God. I I love praying the promises of God back to him. You know, sometimes somebody makes you a promise like, oh, I promise I'll never do that again. And then we get to call them out and say, you did it again. You promised you wouldn't. I promise I won't be late. You were late again. We love to call people out on their promises. Here's the problem. God has no problem being called out on his promises because he always keeps them. You can never tell me a single solitary time where God's ever broken a promise because that's not who God is. It's not in his character. And so the promises of God, like we find in Psalm 55, verse number 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. Feel free to call God out on that if you want to. Hey God, you promise in your word that if I give you my burden, you'll hold me through it, and I need you to make good on that promise right now." And God's like, "No problem, I got this. God doesn't have a problem being held to His word because they're His promises to us. Not only does he say that, it says, He'll never suffer the righteous to be moved. God, I need you to help me to keep my feet firmly planted because I'm scared right now. I'm fearful. All I want to do is run. All I want to do is hide. All I want to do is cower in fear. But I need you to plant my feet strongly because I've chosen to cast my care upon you. And you promised. God says, Okay, I got it. There's a a book that we have over in our bookstore called Praying the Bible. It's basically the idea of reading through the Bible and asking God to make good on his promises or talking through these promises with God. And it's so powerful because we can call God out on his promises and he doesn't have a problem with it. You can be honest with God and tell him you're scared and he appreciates (laughs) honesty. Read through the book of Psalms again, you find a guy who's totally scared out of his wits, and the next day he's got courage like nobody else. It's a lot of back and forth in the book of Psalms. But God desires to be the source of our strength. And he wants us to cast all our cares and concerns upon him. So what do we do? First of all, he says, don't worry. Be anxious for nothing. Notice secondly what he says in verse number six here. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. So first of all, don't worry. Second of all, pray. 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 How many of you this morning know for a fact beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have jumper cables in the trunk of your car? Raise your hand. Good for you. How many of you think, I think we might have jumper cables? I'm not 100% sure. Raise your hand if that's you. I I think jumper cables, not 100% sure. How many of you are like, if my battery's dead, I'm toast? Raise your hand. Good. At least you know who you are, right? No problem. Here's the problem with prayer. Many times people look at prayer like, I have it if I need it, but I probably won't need it. I think I've got this. Prayer becomes like the emergency button. Like, oh, if I need prayer, I can call 911 if I need to. But hopefully I won't have to, hopefully it won't come to the point where I actually have to pray. I mean, how bad would that be, right? No, no, no. Prayer's your first solution. Before you check for the jumper cables, you pray. Like, not the last resort. It's the first priority when, when difficulty comes. Don't worry, Pray. But we think of prayer as like this weakness, like, oh, I've done everything I knew to do, now I just have to pray. No, you got it mixed up. I should have prayed before I did anything that I knew to do. That's what the Bible says. So prayer isn't something we use in case of emergency or I hope it's there when I need it. Prayer is a constant connection with our Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us. And prayer is the first thing that we do when we're feeling anxious or fearful. Always. Pray. Prayer is an admission that we cannot and dare not do this without God. Prayer says to God, God, I couldn't fix this if I wanted to, so I need your help. Or God, I could try to fix this on my own, but I'd probably mess up more than I would fix, so I need your help. God, I'm trusting you to get me through this because I cannot trust myself. And prayer just lets us know where our priorities lie. But again, so many times when fear comes, I gotta think to myself, what do I need to do to fix this? What can I do to resolve this? What can I do to get past this? But stop, don't worry, and pray. I love what Psalm 18, uh, verse number three says. You might have heard this before. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death come past me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me in my distress. I called upon the Lord. I cried unto my God, and he heard my voice out of his temple and my cry before him and came into his ears. Think about that for just a second. The creator God of the universe who spoke the worlds into existence. Six days, everything you see, God created and he sat back and and watched it all unfold. The Jehovah God of the Old Testament that parted the Red Sea, that caused manna to fall from heaven, that gave the children of Israel great victory and the ability to go into the promised land. The God of the Old Testament, the God of Jesus Christ, the God the Father who sent his son to die on our behalf. That's the same God that you and I have the opportunity to pray to. And here's what the Bible says. We cry, he hears. I don't know about you, but there's been times before where we're like the psalmist, I cry, and it's like, hey, God, did you even hear that? Like, <laughs> I, I'm crying, but I see no action on your part whatsoever. I'm like Paul, where I've cried out three separate times for you to take this away from me, and I'm still stuck with it. I don't know if you're hearing this or not, but God's word promises that he hears. Promises. So why don't we make use of that more often? Frankly, a couple of different reasons. Maybe, first of all, because we're proud. I don't want to ask for help because I think I got this. And secondly, we're just flat out foolish. We think we can handle it on our own. But whatever the reason why we don't pray, man, pray. To think that God is waiting to hear from us, waiting to hear his children cry out, waiting for us to ask for help. (laughs) If you have kids, you've seen your kids struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle, and they say, Dad, could you help? Yep, no problem. Done. God's the same way. He's waiting to help. Waiting to intervene on your part as a loving father would. Man, use God as a resource, first resource through prayer. Now, again, We don't have time to unpack all this this morning, but are there things that can hinder your prayer? For sure. Number one, unconfessed sin. The Bible tells us that God's ear is not so heavy that it cannot hear, and his hand is not lame that it cannot save, but your sins have separated you from your Father that he will not hear you. So again, praying to God, calling out in the time of difficulty, praying for God to absolve my fears and anxiety, that requires that everything is right between me and God because sin hinders prayer every single time. Again, we don't have time to unpack that whole thought this morning. I just want to add that to this. But again, God says, don't worry. Pray. Here's what he says. Give, uh, tell God what you need. Again, verse number 6. Be careful for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known, made known unto God. Supplication means telling God what you need. God says, "Call me, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I shall deliver thee." It's a promise from God's word, Psalm fifty, verse number fifteen. Call call me on the day of the trouble; I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. You should again, Psalm fifty, verse number twelve, um, verse number fifteen. You should take that and you should pray that back to God. God, you promised in the day of trouble that you deliver me and I need you to make good on that promise. God's like, no problem, I got that. Tell God what you need. The Bible says your father knows what you need before you ask, but you should still ask. Jesus went so far as to say this, whatever you ask in my name, the father will do it. Now again, we have to ask within the parameters of God's will. I can't tell God that I want a new Ferrari and he's just gonna automatically make it appear in my driveway, I can't tell God that I want him to heal me of cancer and God just immediately does it because I ask. We have to, have, have to ask within the parameters of God's will. But if it's within reason, it's according to God's will, God's going to do it. Jesus went so far as to even say this ask and it shall be given unto you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Like, what do you need? And Jesus went so far as to say this, you being sinful, carnal fathers know how to give to your kids good gifts. How many of you would, if your kid asked for bread, you would give him a rock? You wouldn't do that. How, and he says, how much more does your heavenly father provide for your needs? All of us would, if you have a, a child, would, bend over backwards, lay down in traffic for your kids. Do you think your heavenly father is less of a father than you? Come on. What do you need? Ask for it. Don't worry about anything, but by everything, by prayer and supplication. The word supplication means to ask God for your needs. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So we don't worry. We pray. We ask God for what we need, and then we give thanks. Again, take a look at verse number six. (laughs) Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. So we give thanks. We'll give thanks for what? Give thanks for God's faithfulness, his providence, and his victory. That's what you give thanks for. So when you're fearful, when you're worried, when you're anxious, don't be worried. Pray, ask God for what you need, and then give thanks. And here's an awesome thing you can give thanks in advance, knowing for what's coming next. You can pray and you can say, God's good. I know He's going to work this out. And God, we trust you. God, we praise you because you're faithful, because you're always good, and we know that you will bring about victory in your own time, in your own way. And we can pray when we're fearful. We cannot be fearful. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be worried. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask God for what I need, and I'm going to give him thanks that he deserves. February this year, my daughter Makili got very, very sick. uh, Went into septic shock. And I remember the Sunday morning that I went to uh, the hospital. She had just gotten admitted to the uh, ICU at uh, Kapilani Women and Children's Medical Center. February 21st this year. Went up there walk in the room. She's hooked up to a bunch of IVs and hoses and machines and there's doctors everywhere. There's 17 bags that are hanging around on her IV pole there. And we just looked in there. My, my wife told me kind of what was going on and stuff. And so we stepped out in the hall. We prayed together and then we um, went down to the cafeteria. I got a basket of curly fries and uh, iced tea. My wife got a caramel macchiato decaf, stirred, not shaken. Okay. You know what we did? We sat down and she drank her overpriced sugary coffee drink and I ate french fries. She said, well, that's kind of dumb. And you know what we did? Here's what I said. I said, sweetheart, we're going to say this later, so I'm going to go ahead and get it out of the way. I said, God's good. And she said, God's good. What was that? Just do what the Bible says. We prayed and we gave thanks and we didn't worry. You know why? Because that's the prescription that God gives us to get rid of anxiety. Now, again, if I was not a child of God, if I didn't have the promises of God's word, if I didn't know what to do, I would have went in there and, man, I would have cleaned house. Like, hey, what's going on here? Who do I need to talk to? Somebody needs to bring me up to speed. Somebody needs to give me a brief. I need to talk to the head doctor. I need to talk to the charge nurse. I need to talk to everybody. I need to see charts. I need to see test results. I'm going to start Googling test results whenever I get out of here. I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to go to WebMD and, and diagnose my daughter and, Right? Because, again, I don't have anything if I don't have Jesus. I don't have anything if I don't have the promises of God's word. I have every reason to be anxious and worried if I don't have the promises of God's word. But we just said, God's good. So give thanks in advance. Psalm 7, verse number 17, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. I will sing praises into the name of the Lord most high. Psalm 9, verse number 1, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Isaiah 25.1, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels are of old and faithfulness and truth. God, you've been so good to me, and you've never let me down one single solitary time, and I praise you that you're not gonna let me down this time either. God, you've been so good to me in the past. You brought me through so much garbage in my life. I know for a fact that you're gonna bring victory from this situation, and I'm looking forward to how it's gonna happen. Now, I do wanna caution you for just a second. When we say things like, God's gonna bring a victory through this, please understand, I wanna be ridiculously clear about this. God's victory does not always line up with your personal desires, okay? Because false teaching People who have perverted the gospel of Jesus to think that the gospel brings health, wealth, and prosperity, they want to talk about breakthroughs and victories and showers of blessings and things like this. But just know this victory in God's eyes might mean your death. That was, nobody said amen to that. That was good. Amen. That was good, right? Because you think about that for a second. Did he just say what I think he said? Yeah, you know what the Bible says? Precious in the sight of the Lord is what? The death of his saints. If God gets glorified through my death, is that a win or a loss? Depends on who's keeping score, right? If the world's keeping score, you'd say it's a loss. But if God is glorified through my death, I call that a win. So, should I be stricken with some life-threatening illness and God chooses to take my life, let's just say that God got a victory through that. But again, when you look at it the lens of God exists to me and, and exists to make me happy and God exists to placate my needs, we would call that a loss, but it's not a loss. The glory of God is always a win. And so Angela and I, early on, when my daughter was in the hospital, we prayed and told God, God, should you take our daughter's life, we're going to praise you and you're going to get glory through it. We made that decision ahead of time. That victory didn't mean her walking out of a hospital room, being wheeled out to the curb with balloons tied to her wheelchair and people clapping as she went through the hallway. That might be victory, it might not. Us planning her funeral could also be a victory, and God would get the glory through that. And we had to make that decision ahead of time. Because we know that God's ways are always perfect. We know that God is always sovereign that God's plans don't always line up with our plans. When we do, we're thankful for it, but when they don't, we trust God anyways. So again, when we can have the peace of God that comes by giving thanks in advance, that comes from just knowing that God is always sovereign and God is always good and God is always faithful. And so I've been on the receiving end of so many heartbreaking texts, I've lost count at this point. As a pastor, I get to walk through people with their best days of their life Birth of children, weddings, and all types of birthday celebrations and things like that, but also have to walk through sickness, death, the disintegration of marriages and homes. And every time I'm on the receiving end of a terrible text message, I always text back the exact same thing. And if you ever get it back from me, please understand it's not a, a, a boilerplate response. It's just the only truth that you have to cling on to. It's three words, really simple. God is faithful. That's it. Pastor, my husband packed a bag and says that he's leaving our family. I'm gonna pray for you. God's faithful. Pastor, I just wanna let you know that our baby was lost. God is faithful. We'll pray for you. Hey, Pastor, I just got fired from my job. God's faithful. I'm gonna pray for you. It's the same answer all the time because, again, when you look in God's word, we're encouraged by the faithfulness of God from old to Everlasting. God's always faithful, so we can just give thanks. God, I trust you through this. So that's what we do. We don't worry. We pray. We ask God for what we want. We give thanks. And here's what God does, verse number seven. This is the good stuff. Verse number seven. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. So what does God do? God gives peace. God gives peace. Now, some people misunderstand what the peace of God means. If you think of the opposite of peace, what would you say the opposite of peace is? Somebody help me. Opposite of peace would be war, right? So you automatically think when God brings peace, all the problems go away, all the fighting, all the danger goes away, and God brings peace to your situation. But peace is not the absence of trials, Peace is a feeling of comfort that God gives knowing that he is in charge. It's an inner comfort that we have trusting in God and his character and the promises that come from his word. It doesn't mean that your problems go away. Your problems might increase. That's why we can have peace in the midst of a storm because it's not a matter of what's going on that we can see. It's a matter of what God's doing in us and through us and God gives us a peace. And again, peace comes from the Holy Spirit of God The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You you can't buy peace at a store. It only comes from God. And God gives us his peace, first of all, through his presence. If you're a child of God, if you've been saved, if you've been born again, inside of you, you have the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of you, that seeks to bring about love, joy, and peace from the inside out. in the person of God living inside of you Bible says that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God resides inside of you. That's why the Book of Hebrews gives us this great promise from Hebrews chapter thirteen, verse number five: Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with the things that you have, for He has said, "I will never leave thee nor forsake thee." So that we may boldly say, "The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me." I've got the Spirit of God in me. What do you got? I have inside of me this spirit that defeated sin, death, and the grave. What do you have on me? I don't fear what man can do to me. I have the spirit of God in me. And that brings about, the Bible says, peace. Because I have the presence of God in me. I have no reason to fear. I don't fear sickness. I don't fear death. I don't fear financial woes. I don't fear what people will do to me or say about me because I have the spirit of God inside of me. I have the presence of God always with me. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where the devil has gotten a hold of, of my heart and my, my carnality and my feelings have overwhelmed me where I feel I am totally alone. Nobody feels what I feel. Nobody cares about what's going on in my life. I am utterly, completely alone, and nobody else has ever felt like this in the history of the world. And then you realize that's just not true because I'll never be alone. Paul said, though no one stood with me, I was never alone because God's promised to be with us. And again, if you ever get the feeling that you're alone, you just need to look around a room on a Sunday morning and realize you've got a lot of people in your life that love you and care about you. And if you've been at Who we Call it, for more than 24 hours, this is family for you. And if this is your first time here, welcome to the family. That whatever you're going through, you're not alone. We're with you, we're behind you, we're for you because God's for you and so you're never alone and we're, we have peace in our lives through the presence of God. Next, we have peace through God's promises. Again, you wanna be encouraged by the word? Read Psalms. You'll find yourself in Psalms. If you're having the best day of your life, you'll find yourself in Psalms. If you're having the worst day of your life, you'll find yourself in Psalms. If you're fighting just to stay alive every day, you'll find yourself in Psalms and there'll be encouragement to go with it. But again, I can look at God's word and see promises. Don't be anxious. Pray. Ask God for what you need. Give thanks. And God, you promised your peace would come and I'm asking you for it today. I've done my part. God, it's time for you to do yours. And again, God always does his part because God's always faithful. Isaiah 64, verse number four, for since the beginning of, time, beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath I seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for thee. Isaiah says this, God, nobody even knows the things that you've got planned for them. They, they've never seen it, they've never heard it, but the things you have planned for them are so great. And again, this does not always mean healing and financial prosperity Sometimes it means a little bit more suffering to refine you, to making you to be the person that God's called you to be. But here's the thing. You can trust the promises of God's word because he's always faithful. So through this time, God's going to give you a peace. But Here's what verse number seven says. Verse number seven is one of the great promises of the New Testament. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding. Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Like, the peace that you're going to get is, is beyond comprehension. You can't explain it to somebody. It, it's a peace that overwhelms you, that you can't explain, that you don't understand even yourself. Again, Angela and I sitting out there eating French fries and drinking caramel macchiatos while our daughter's sitting in a hospital room fighting for her life. We said peace. What, we're going to lay by the bedside and cry, go on a hunger strike, wail. There were plenty of parents that were doing that. No, we're just going to trust God. And God just gave us a peace. And we had, we had some well-meaning family members that reached out to us during that time, and again, they were well-meaning, and God bless their souls, who would call just wailing, crying, broken. It's just like, "Hey, I can't handle that right now we're fine, just pray for us. And and I can't afford, I can't listen to that because God's given me a peace and I don't understand feeling hopeless. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me right now. Because God's given me a peace through this that whatever happens, happens, that he's faithful, he's good, and he's always in control and I'm gonna praise him on the other end of this and he's gonna get glory from it. But I can't handle hopelessness right now because I just have a peace. How do you explain that? I don't. That's the thing. It's a piece that passes all understanding. If you've got about 30 minutes of your life and you want to be greatly encouraged, talk to Terry Rott sometime. Terry, raise your hand. Where you at? Terry's right over here. If you ever shaking hands with Terry, Terry's right hand's kind of a little bit messed up. He's uh, got this thing going up his arm. You should ask him sometime, Terry, tell me the story of that. Again, take about 30 minutes so he doesn't have to rush the story because it's good. But Long story short, Terry got an infection in his body. Doctors couldn't figure out what it was. His numbers were going all over the place as far as blood panels and infections and things like that and blood cell counts and stuff like that were were off the charts. And uh, he said it was just a a time of just massive chaos. And he said, they came to me at the end of the day and they said, if things don't improve by tomorrow morning, we're gonna amputate your right arm. And he said, pastor, when they said that, just this peace came over me. And he goes, I wasn't worried about anything. He said, it's the craziest thing. He said, I slept like a baby that night. I wasn't worried. I wasn't concerned. And then, long story short, he got to keep his arm, you know. He said, I woke up the next morning, and I, I I just had a peace. And he said, Pastor, I've never experienced a peace like that in my entire life. Well, let's dissect that and figure out where that peace came from. You can't. Because it's a peace that passes all understanding. You know why? Because Terry, his family, and everybody that knew Terry had already decided not to worry and panic. They had decided to pray. They decided to ask God for what they needed. They decided to praise God in advance for whatever He was going to do. And what was the end result of that? A peace that you cannot comprehend. Psalm twenty nine eleven: The Lord will give strength to His people, and the Lord will bless His people with peace. It's good stuff. Here's what it also says in verse number seven. The peace of God which passed all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That peace that God gives will steady our hearts and minds. That word keep means to arrest or to grab hold of. Think of this. The peace of God is gonna bear hug your heart and mind and not let it go. You wanna panic, but you can't panic because the peace of God has enveloped Your fear. You want to freak out, but you can't bring yourself to freak out because the peace of God has arrested, kept your hearts and mind. How? In Christ Jesus. (laughs) I probably should be freaked out right now, but I'm just not. I probably should be panicking right now, but I'm not. People ask me, how do you seem to have it all together? And you say, "Hmm, I don't know. I just got peace. That's the peace of God. It'll steady your heart and mind. Where does it come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit of God. That's the answer for anxiety. The peace of God's presence and his promise arrests our hearts and minds. So again, God gives you this peace that allows you to still your hearts, to still your minds. I'm not gonna freak out. I'm not gonna live in fear. I'm not gonna live in anxiety. I'm not gonna worry about everything that takes place. I'm just gonna have peace. And it's gonna control my heart and my mind. But here's the thing. You gotta protect it. You gotta protect that peace. Because we have to guard our hearts and minds to maintain that. And again, verse number seven, keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, feeds into verse number eight. What does verse eight say? Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue, if there would be any praise, think on these things. Eight things he tells us. These are the things that you focus on. Focus on the positive things, the good things, the things that are of good report, the things that are lovely. You do know, to focus on negativity? I got 25 headlines that I read this morning that will greatly discourage your heart. The Bible says don't focus on those things. Now, again, we're not being foolish and turning a blind eye to reality. It's just like that's not going to consume my thoughts today. I'm going to be consumed by the goodness of God. I'm going to be consumed by the faithfulness of God. I'm going to be consumed by the promises of God's word. That's what's going to f- fuel me on a day-to-day basis. Philippians 4.8 is also a good checklist for the things that you watch on TV, the music that you listen to, the people you spend time with, the, the uh, entertainment that you enjoy, the hobbies you're involved with. Philippians 4.8 is a good checklist for whether or not these things are helpful in your life or not but I'm gonna protect this peace that God's given me by not reading too much. The uh, disease that my daughter had caused blood clots uh, in the jugular vein, is what she had. And it's one of the, the rarest disease in the fact that it's, it's called the forgotten disease. And because people just don't, don't get it that often. And you know how many articles I read on the internet about it? Like one and a half. <laughs> you know why? Because every single one of them were terrifying to read. You know, what the, the, the thing that she has caused a blood clot in her jugular vein. I don't know what, how much you know about medicine. I don't know a lot, but I know you need your jugular vein. Pretty important. When they get shut off, it can cause brain damage. Like, I start reading through this stuff and I thought, I, I can't read this. I can't do it. I, I just can't. I can't stomach it right now. You know why? Because I have the peace of God right now. I'm not turning a blind eye to facts. I'm just not putting all my faith in a WebMD article that I pulled up on my phone. I'm trusting in the peace of God. And so again, we see that we gotta protect that peace because the devil wants to steal your joy. The world wants to suck it away from you. We live in a society that thrives on fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Look, I tried to find news headlines for you this morning of cats being rescued from trees, and I didn't find any. Uh, They're probably there somewhere. I don't know where they are. But here's the thing. I'm not gonna allow that to feed my brain and my heart. Four final thoughts and we're done. This is just a summary of everything we talked about today. Don't worry, but focus your attention on the Lord. That's a choice that you make. I'm not gonna worry about this. I'm not gonna allow this to steal my joy. I'm not gonna allow this to freak me out. I choose to trust the Lord through this. That's a choice you get to make and I'm challenging you this week, make it. Don't worry, just focus on the Lord. Secondly, Pray and give thanks in advance. God, I don't know what you're doing, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you, I love you, and I'm for you, and whatever you do is good. Praise God. God, I'm thankful that you've given me this new opportunity to strengthen my faith and to glorify you. (laughs) Praise God and thank him in advance. Next, walk in the peace that God gives you. As God gives you peace, Allow that to shape your life, shape your heart, shape your mind. As God gives you peace, don't push it away. So many times I see God begin to give people peace and they begin to throw up more concerns. Well, what about this? What about that? Hey, don't push away the peace of God. Walk in the peace of God. Finally, guard your heart and mind. This is a given for Christians. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, Protect your heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. I've got to guard my heart. Some of you, the best thing you could ever possibly do is to delete your social media and never look at it ever again. Now, if you use your social media for evangelism and for the kingdom and for the glory of God, go for it. But the majority of people that I know, myself included, do not use it for those purposes even though I want to say that I do. So some of you maybe need to let that go. Some of you maybe have relationships in your life that are sucking your joy away. Cut it. Maybe there's sin in your life that's sucking your joy, that's creating anxiety. Cut it. Maybe there's worry, shame, guilt that you're carrying in a backpack. Dump it all out. Leave and leave the backpack so you got no luggage to carry around anymore. Just leave it with Jesus and walk on. But whatever the case, you cannot, cannot walk with Jesus and walk in fear at the same time. They're two different paths that lead to two different destinations. you got to choose to walk with Jesus, and walking with Jesus means walking in boldness. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, friend, you cannot walk in boldness. You cannot walk in courage. You should be fearful of the day that you meet God, but you don't have to be. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, do not leave here today without knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. This is not how to be a Baptist or how to join our church. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to go through a class. I just want to sit you down and open the Bible. A guy with a guy, a lady with a lady, and tell you how you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home and you can walk in boldness from today forward. But for those of us that are Christians, we need to make a decision. We no longer will cower in fear. We'll no longer be dictated by our circumstances. We'll no longer allow worry and anxiety to grip our lives. We choose to walk in boldness from this point forward. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.